2: Hope you're enjoying another excellent and uh, let's face cerebral blizzard show. I'm Pete Donaldson from the Ramble now. I just want to say that if you are listening uh, to the show on Sunday the 6th of October, we are playing Brighton, the Theatre Royal, tonight. So come down, ramblelive.com for tickets. Come and see us, Brighton. We'll have a right giggle.
3: Come
2: on, people! Estevano, he
3: gives pluscats Ja, go. Yeah, was it then the most dangerous week in the whole history of mankind? I suppose it was. A little bit
1: through it. The dramatic Moscow broadcast of Mr. Khrushchev's order to dismantle Russian missile bases in Cuba took Washington completely by surprise.
2: to
3: Hello everybody, welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with The Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, opposite me of course is Jonathan Wilson. And on today's show we have David Bolkova, author and commentator. David has written a number of books including The 90 Minute Manager, Lessons from the Sharp End of Management and most recently The Greatest Comeback, From Genocide to Football Glory, the story of Baylor Gutman. David, pleasure to have you with us. Pleasure to be here. David, for this episode of Greatest Games, you have gone for the 1962 European Cup final between the then holders Benfica and Real Madrid. Why have you gone for this game?
1: Well, put simply, this was the pinnacle of Abel uh, Gutman's uh, career in 1962. Uh, he'd won the European Cup the year before as coach of Benfica and he retained it in '62, beating Real Madrid. Uh, Real Madrid had won it for the first five years, the European Cup competition was uh, first competed for in 1955 6. Real Madrid won it for the first five years. Benfica won it the following year. Belegutman wrested it from Real Madrid, in, uh, but they beat Barcelona in the final the first one. The following year, 1962, Benfica played
3: Real Madrid. So this was like a fight for the crown of Europe. Mm, uh, it certainly was. And the name Belegut was come up there a few times already. It, it will continue to do so. One of the great characters of of the game of football, Jonathan.
0: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean, as as my latest book, for names so how long ago, sort of claims, the Budapest of the nineteen twenties, the football that was played there, was incredibly influential, and of that, of the great diaspora from from Hungary at the time caused by the political and economic turmoil, Gutman is by some margin the most successful of the many coaches. You can make a case that Bukovy, Martin Bukovey might have been the the more tactically innovative, but Gutman is the one who wins the two European Cups, who has success everywhere. And he's an incredibly flamboyant, incredibly charismatic character. He Divisive
3: he, is a word you'd say? Y-
0: yeah, divisive. He you know, he never stayed anywhere very long. He mm-hmm. kept on falling out with people. Um the story of how he survived the war is mm. which David's book goes into great detail on is is incredibly moving and, and you know, you sort of Right. um yeah you 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 sort of think a man that famous the fact he you know he, he couldn't get out you know he 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 went through all of that that even sort of celebrities went through that but yeah i guess i he starts out as being um a great centre half uh always like money i think it's fair to say mm-hmm. um so he, his parents ran a, a dance school mm-hmm. uh he he himself uh when when there was um the sort of after the first war in Budapest there was or in Hungary, there was uh, a sort of anti Jewish um movement, a lot of a lot of Jews were killed. He sort of fled uh, to Vojvodna in the what is Jewish now himself. Serbia, uh set up a dance school there, played a bit of football, came back to Budapest when that persecution was had died down. But as soon as the Austrian League goes professional in nine twenty three, he you know, he, he gets out and goes to Hakuach in is that how you say it? H- Harkur. Harkur. Yeah. yeah, I struggle with that ugh, at the end. I think we all do. Um, which is sort of this, this sort of militantly um, you know, pro-Zionist side in, in Vienna, um, and he plays for them, wins, wins the league with them in in nine twenty five, while falling out with them at the same time, being pretty frustrated with them, mm-hmm. and then from there he, you know, he he goes on a tour to the US in. I mean, so I feel like I'm telling a story. He goes, <laughs> he goes on a tour to the US. Why don't you pick it up from there?
1: Yeah, he he, he played for this team, HC Vienna. That that was an incredible story. I think I think uh, in many ways his time at HC Vienna shaped his personality uh, because this was a team. It was just us against the us against the world. Uh, no one likes us. We don't care. Hmm. In, in the Millwall Millwall phrase, uh, the anti-Semitism in Central Europe was obviously huge. We're talking 13 years. When when uh, Hakoch won the League, that was 1925. Thirteen years later, they have the Anschluss, when the Nazis marched into Austria with the population lining the streets, cheering as they entered, uh, where Jews were made to go on their bended knees and scrub uh, the pavements, to, again, to cheering crowds, where in November 1938, joined the Kristallnacht of November 9th, November the 10th, 1938, a night which really heralded the beginning of the Holocaust. Uh, 92 of the 93 synagogues in Vienna were destroyed. All the books brought from those synagogues and burnt in these medieval bonfires. Again, to cheering crowds. Just 13 years before this, as Jonathan says, very proudly, Jewish Zionist football team had won the Austrian League amidst this great hostility. And Bella Gutmann, I think... It's worth saying they win the league in the most implausible circumstances (laughs) with their goalkeeper getting injured, playing up front and scoring the winning goal. Well, that's right. I mean, forget Sergio Aguera. (laughs) In 2012, this is the most dramatic league win uh, of all time. The goalkeeper was injured. There's no substitutes. He puts on a sling, goes up front, scores the winning goal. Amazing. Yeah, so this uh, us against the world mentality, I think really uh, during Gutmann's formative years, really uh, shaped his character. He went from Herkog Vienna and he went to the United States of America where he played during the golden era for uh, American football uh, between 1926 and 1932. And he also made a huge amount of money uh, in uh, the United States running uh, illicit uh, nightclubs, bars. But after the Wall Street crash, he lost all his money. One of the
3: many ups and downs in Gutman's life. Yeah. Um, so, and it's it's so important to to talk about Gutman in, in the context as as you already said, but as well he survives the Holocaust. Obviously, unlike his father and his and his sister who are uh, killed in Auschwitz. I think it's
0: worth saying as well that you know he comes back from from the US. Yeah. And you know, he tries to maintain a playing career. Realizes mm. that you know his legs have gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, begins coaching. And he has the chance to leave. You know,
3: he, he has a visa to go to the US. Well, that was going to be a question. As you say, the Holocaust and, and all that horrible history, but why, why didn't he leave, do you think, David? You know, He sticks around Europe in that time and amazingly survives the Holocaust. That's right. Well,
1: you've
3: got to imagine the situation,
1: 1938, mm. when Austria is invaded. Jews all over Europe were desperate desperate to get out mm. and to protect their children to get out of uh, Europe and they were queues going round the corner from the consulates, from Western consulates trying to get visas. But the Western countries, America, Britain, refused to let them in. The British who controlled Palestine would not let the Jews into what they perceived to be their homeland. So they were stranded there. Bella Gutman, however, uh, I think because he spoke good English after his six years in the 1920s and early 1930s, Uh, got one precious visa of only 800 or so awarded to Hungarian nationals in uh, 1938. And he goes to New York and he tries to set up a football team there uh, or a new football league. Football had died since the the Great Era a few years before and he tried desperately to to get the whole thing moving again. Uh, But uh, the depression had really set in in uh, in the United States, recession. There was no interest in football. Well, I think it's it's sort of worth slightly expanding on that. That the a lot of the fans of the of the early teams
0: of the late you know the late twenties had had been um, from you know, textile factories, and those are the jobs that are really badly hit by the depression. So okay. you know, fans literally cannot afford to buy mm. the tickets. So all the entrepreneurs who've been setting up these teams and arranging tours, and there's tours all over the place, you know, which we mentioned when we were talking about the Tel Aviv derby, we talked about these, these great tours. Mm. They stop because the money dries up. So you know, there's, there's very good economic reasons for football to suddenly wither uh, post post
1: the crash. Mm. That's right. So he's in New York. Football's not uh, taking off. He gets wind of an offer from Oipescht to be their coach, or he a major Hungarian club. He has a choice. Uh, You could say, obviously, Hungary by that that stage had not been invaded by Nazi Germany, but they were an ally of Nazi Germany and they'd already passed, the independent government of Hungary had already passed its first anti-Jewish law. So the writing was on the wall. He had the choice of security in the United States or excitement and football, which he loved, and to establish himself as a great coach in Europe and he chose the latter option. I put it in my book, I stand by it. He risked his life for the love of football. We yeah. often hear this yeah. expression. Oh, he put he put his head on the line for his team. Yeah. He literally did it because of his love of
3: football. I mean, it's all sort of Achilles Greek mythology stuff. Obviously for him it worked out a bit better, but it's utterly remarkable. So
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's it's very difficult to um yeah. For instance, I've I read a lot of um, a lot of Freud's letters when he you know he leaves Vienna in I think in thirty eight. Certainly does. very late in the thirties. And his you know he's he's a successful psychoanalyst. He's got his practice, and he can see what's coming, but he doesn't quite believe it until, mm. I mean, just in time in his case. And he yeah you know, he's clearly kind of weighing up: do I give up my profession? Or you know we've seen persecutions before. Mm. Is this actually worse? Well, yeah. It turned out it was much worse. And and so that decision was a huge wrench. I think it's quite easy from Mao's perspective not to really understand or not to, not to really know. People had no notion how bad it was going to be, and you see that I think in certainly in Hungary that um, although their government had had allied to Germany, I think it was quite easy for people who didn't want to see the writing on the wall to think, well, the choice was Germany or the Soviet Union. Mm. Actually, that's not a choice at all. If you know what the Soviets have, or Russians have done in Hungary in the past, um, so I think it was almost a, it was a it was quite easy to, to kid yourself that they don't really mean it. And you, know, you see, even as late as sort of forty three, yeah, you know, Erbstein, who you know, have a great coach of Torino, his family and you know, his two daughters are still alive, and you have know, spoken to, to to them, and they were saying actually, although there was all these restrictions, and lo, there's sort of this sense of fear. Their life in Budapest wasn't that bad. And there was a you know, a sense that it won't happen here. And even though you had people who were escaping camps or you yeah, had stories of camps coming over the border and saying, this is what's going on, there was this sort of uh, almost a block that people could not believe just how mm-hmm. bad it would be. So, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. You've studied Gutman better than, more than me. But I wonder if that sort of, if he couldn't quite acknowledge, couldn't quite accept just how enormous this thing
1: was it's it's really a, a a general question a philosophical question rather than based on any any knowledge and we're, and we're all guessing but i think it's very dif- different to be in a situation where uh you don't see the writing on the wall but on the other hand how much is that influenced by the fact you've got no alternative sure yeah yeah, uh, yeah a goodman a good had an alternative yeah people always when they're trapped somewhere or they're locked into a situation always try to persuade themselves, oh, that's the only, world, there's the only thing I can do. And they tried to make the best of it. It's a natural uh, human impulse to try and make the best of what you've got. Gutmann had the chance, this very rare chance to leave. And I think most Hungarian Jews, even though they maybe not anticipate the Holocaust, although I'm sure news of the, uh, the Holocaust had reached them by 1943. In fact, many Jews... From foreign countries, not Hungarian nationals, but were residing in Hungary, uh, several thousand, I think up to twenty thousand, were sent over by the Hungarian government in nineteen forty-one, and were all shot uh, by uh, by the Nazis and the Euro- Ukrainian helpers. And the, the Hungarian Jews will have known all about that, and they will have known. Well, I, and before. there was
0: although the, the the deportations don't begin until May forty-four, after the German invasion, which is what the end of March forty-four, March nineteenth. The Germany invades and basically invade Hungary because Hungary have seen what the way the war war's going and they're trying to negotiate a separate peace. Uh, so even though the deportations to actually don't begin until then and, and sort of yeah, you know, the, the horror of the Hungarian Holocaust is it's it's so efficient by then that for between uh I can't remember the date, but beginning of May and July the ninth, yeah, uh, there's one Hungarian Jew killed every eleven seconds. It's about 800,000, I think, in total. During
1: uh, that period, is forty four hundred and thirty seven thousand. 437,000. Yeah, it was about 8,000 a day transported right. to Auschwitz.
0: Um, but there was still... Jews uh, had to report to work details who were being sent to uh, these battalions, the sort of labour battalions in, in Ukraine, where horrific atrocities were, were occurring. So you're one of the great... Um, uh, Shibby Brown, one of the great MT car players of the 20s, dies in, in in a in a work camp in Ukraine where we don't even know when he died it's, a, it's a, we have a month but mm-hmm. yeah he just disappears essentially and and that was not an unusual experience sure
3: and look at the start of this just to kind of bring it back we talk about benfica beating real madrid and all that chat that you're just saying this uh, awful history Baylor gutman's the 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 main man at the center of this match obviously that we're focusing on so it is vitally important to tell the, the, where he's come from and the mindset of the man. And in the second half, we're going to talk about the game and, and more of his football career, of course. But it's very, very important to set the scene with Baylor Goodman and just to show you or talk about the journey that he personally came through. So, quick break, and then we'll, we're back in uh, with, uh, with, with the football chat on Bela Goodman. See you in a moment.
2: Oh, you're Oh! oh. oh. oh mooi doorgegeven. kans op te
1: schieten. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
3: So we've we've set the scene with Baylor Goodman. The the wars over he survived the Holocaust.
0: Well, I mean we we should. I mean I know the time is against. We should sure. briefly say how he survived the, the Holocaust. Okay. But basically, his his fiance, uh, her um, her brother, ran a hairdressing salon, mm-hmm. and he he hid in the attic. Yeah. Essentially, um, and would walk about on boards so he didn't leave footprints in the dust. Um, he was a very restless man, I think. So. Mm-hmm. It seems to be quite difficult to keep him in the attic that he kept on nipping out and having various scrapes. Yeah. And then eventually, once the deportations have stopped, he, he obviously decides it's uh, safe to come out. Well, it's, I, I don't think it was safe to come out, but I think he, he made a decision that it was less dangerous to report to one of these work details than to risk being caught because to, to be caught then would be certain death. Whereas mm-hmm. at least the work detail, there was a,
2: you know, a, a, a yeah a
0: greater chance of survival. He ends up slightly oddly working with, with Herbstein, he goes on to coach Torino and they escape together. they
1: escape together. Yeah, escape together. And it, it, Jonathan talks about it as a, as a work detail that they're often described as labour camps. Uh, this is not a nine to five job many people no. uh, died. Uh, they were, they were It was sla- a slave labour camp is, yeah. is the best way to describe it. Mm. Okay. But they, yeah, they,
0: they softened the ground underneath the window. They were living on the first floor of the the barrack. Yep. Uh, they softened the ground underneath the window. There was, I think, five of them. There was a... An actor, yeah, an actor, yes, Saul, can't remember a surname, and the five Zany. of them jump out the window, and we we actually don't know what happened. We Gutman probably went back to the to the attic above the hairdressing salon, but there's sort of a month, six weeks where he hid somewhere, yeah. Um, but survives, goes into football, and then through a whole series of scrapes, which I've fear we have to skip over, mm-hmm. ends up at Benfica.
3: He does, yeah. I mean, yeah, talking about his football career, I mean, if, if you think Brian Clough was a bit out there or a more contemporary reference, Jose Mourinho, nothing on this guy. I mean, the the, the famous expression, you know, the third year is fatal came from, from Baylor Goodman, of course. So, he, But he had quite a bit of success where he went. But, I mean, there's certain stories of him, you know, wanting to sub off one of his players when, of course, you you didn't have substitutes so he'd rather play with 10 men than. well
0: probably. I mean that, that's very relevant because that's when he fell out with Pushkas so he was coaching yeah. Kishpes which is Pushkas's team uh-huh. Pushkas's father had been his predecessor and there's a game when he feels one of the fullbacks is playing too aggressively <laughs> wants to take him off at half time yeah. Pushkas says "You know, don't be ridiculous we're playing with 11 yeah which he storms off and gets banned by the Hungarian FA for breach of contract. <laughs> so he and Pushkas fall out, and of course, Pushkas is playing Absolutely. for Real Madrid in this game. Yeah, and it, the, although it should be said they had subsequently made up.
3: Yeah, but I mean, you know, David, Bailigut career career in, uh, in football is full of all these stories of falling out with people and these kind of erratic, kind of slight mad behaviours. But when he finds himself at Benfica, which I believe is where he stayed around the longest in terms of his career, he was always one year there or two years there. And all around the world, from Hungary, Switzerland, Brazil, you know, incredible um glow-trotting career. But he comes to Benfica in, in the late 50s, having just won the league at Porto. Of course, they're, they're great rivals, but he goes to, to Benfica. And am I right in saying he sacks 20 first-team players, something like that, immediately? Again, this is not uh, Brian Clough, you've won all your medals <laughs> through cheating and you can ch- chuck them away. He get He absolutely... Guts, no pun intended, you know, guts the, the, the team and promotes a load of youth players. And this is, a, you know, people must think, what on earth is going on? And yet he manages to halt Real Madrid's dominance of the European Cup, which is no mean feat, Jonathan.
0: Yeah, and, and, and the, the the player he brought in um, for, for this final, uh, I mean, he didn't play in, in 61 final, uh, is Eusebio. Yeah. Uh, which is I think is a yeah, the way he signs Eusebio is a is a great example of how he worked. He was in a barber shop, he he met a player called Carlos Bauer who'd who played for him at Sao Paulo in, in Brazil, and Bauer was on his way back from Mozambique and so sort of said, Oh, I've just met this player, you've got to sign him, he's brilliant. <laughs> and Eusebio was already lined up to join sporting and Gutman sort of nips in, signs him, and it turns out he signed the best player in Europe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's yeah he had that decisiveness, he had that sort of those connections, he had the network, uh, but he was clearly sort of a, a hugely sort of inspiring figure, and you see throughout his career, the pattern is he inspires his team for a year, eighteen months, and then they begin to tire of him. Yeah. That's why I think people make the Jose Mourinho comparison. Yeah, There's yeah, a lot yeah. of differences between them, sure, but that idea of a very inspirational figure who eventually
3: becomes wearing. Well, he, I mean he has to be some sort of very intense bloke, but um but David you know that that sacking of the 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 twenty first team players aroses in Benfica I mean, what's the what's the mood of Benfica when he arrives? Obviously he's just won the league at Porto, so he jumps ships and goes to Benfica, then makes this huge decision what what what's the lie of the land there when he's a Benfica and all that's kind of going on
1: well let's put this into context because this is the time when Bella Gutman was at his most supremely self- confident yeah this is the, this is the period that five years. Five or six years where everything he touched turned to gold. Mm. Uh, So he'd won the uh, Paulista in Brazil, the regional Brazilian league with Sao Paulo. He then comes to Portugal and is hired by Porto. And he wins the league in his first season there. Only the second time uh, in 20 years they would won it. Then he gets offered a job by Benfica. And to put this in its, uh, again, in its footballing context, uh, Portugal was at that stage, I would say, a minor footballing nation. Uh, no Portuguese team had got past the first round of the European Cup in the four four or five years since its inception. Uh, Portugal had never qualified for the World Cup. In fact, in the qualifying rounds for the 1958 uh World Cup, they were knocked out by little Northern Ireland. This is where Portugal was. Okay, so he took over at Benfica in 1959. He's also handicapped by the fact that Benfica, much like uh, in a similar system to Athletic Bilbao or Yorkshire cricket, for example, in the olden times, you could only sign players from Portugal or the Portuguese colonies, Angola, Mozambique, etc. Uh, so he was hamstrung by that, but he said to the chairman when he took the job at Benfica, "I'm going to win the European Cup, and if I win the European Cup, you can give me two hundred thousand escudos as a bonus." <laughs> and, and 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 the chairman looked at him and he thought, "Well, you can have three hundred thousand if you like." I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, uh, so he was at his most self-confident. He comes in, much like Mourinho in his in his real pomp, mm. total self-confidence in everything he did. But that self-confidence suffused around him where everyone, the players, if he said jump, they would jump because he'd done it in the last couple of years. He had that aura around him where they really believed in him. This is, this is gold for a coach. Mm. Ferguson had that, particularly in the later era, uh, stages of his career when they won the league with United in 2013 mm. with a, probably a team which would finish fifth or sixth now. You know, the the managerial influence is at its greatest when the manager has that self confidence. So he got rid of all these players. I'm not working with 35 players. I'm working with a cohesive unit of players that I can have the most influence shaping their play and motivating them as individuals. Man. So,
3: yeah, Jonathan.
0: Well, let's. Should we begin with the game? Finally. (laughs) So um, this is a sort of aging Real Madrid team. Um, So you've got Pushkas, who's 35 by then. Uh, you got De Stefano, who uh, also thirty five. Yeah, also thirty five. Um, so there's, there's a lot of the remnants of the, the late '50s team. This is not a team quite as good as the late '50s team, but nonetheless, 18 minutes in, De Stefano long ball over the top, push cast runs on. Push gas, I have to say, moving quicker than I've seen him move in any other <laughs> clip I've ever seen of him. Looking spelt, <laughs> yeah, certainly compared to how he'd been in, two years earlier in the famous final when Real Madrid beat Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, and he, yeah, he, he scores the goal. Five minutes after that, 23 minutes gone. Um, there's a sort of uh, Real Madrid get a free kick, maybe I don't know, 10 yards side the Benfica half. The ball's t- it's taken quickly. gas has got space to turn, whips the shot in. Costa Pereira, the Benfica is maybe slightly slow to get down. So 23 minutes in, it was a hell of a hit though. Oh, yeah, look, he strikes it beautifully. Yeah, yeah. I it's a yeah, I mean, yeah,
3: look, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a great strike. Bounces awkwardly in front of him. bounces awkwardly. I'm giving, I I'm giving think, the keeper the benefit of the doubt.
0: I think you've watched too many old videos. I think you've gone <laughs> soft. Uh, but so halfway through the first half, Real Madrid are 2-0 up. Uh, two minutes after that, um, there's a free kick tap to Eusebio. Uh He sort of gets the ball caught under his feet slightly, but so, still gets this sort of little mm-hmm. toe-pokey shot out. Hits it quite hard. Um, uh, I- I- I Eric Ascian, the... And the uh, the Roman keeper can't hold it. Ball bounces loose and it's slammed in by, by Jose Aguas. So it's two one. Um and yeah, you know, it's a it's a great game. It's sort of Oh, it is. It's a very I, I always think if you when you watch football from from the sixties, you can pretty much have a guess at whether it's the first half of a decade or the second half of a decade, because something mm. around sixty five, sixty six is when the game changes. Mm. And this is you know, just before Catanacho comes in. This is very much the old football, and that I guess is what what Gutman represents. The Benfica equalise uh, on 33 minutes. Um, there's a ball chipped into the box. You Sabo sort of surrounded by players, takes the ball down. I think he's probably looking to turn and shoot, but ends up uh, laying it off to uh, Domitiano Cavem, who, who who drills it in. Uh, but nonetheless, another great strike. That yeah, I mean these are these are great technical players they who are, scoring yeah. great goals. Yeah. Um, but Real Madrid back, six minutes before half time, they, they go three-two up. Uh there's sort of a, a flowing break. Um and the, the, the ball sort of it's it's half instead, pops to Pushkas, who, who sort of you know, I guess an inside right position takes on his left foot, mm. drills it in, completes his second hat-trick in a European <laughs> Cup final, um at the age of 35, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh and even then before half time, there's a chance for Real Madrid to score again. The Paco Hento, the the, the great winger who uh, had the beating of Melio all game, gets by him on the outside, crosses for um, Luis del Sol. His header goes over Costa Pereira, but hits the bar. So it's 3-2 at half-time. And yeah, what does Gutman do at half-time? He walks in the dressing room and goes, right, we've got this wrapped up, lads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is I think that says everything. You know, what you're saying about the um, how he sort of spreads self-confidence.
1: Yeah, totally. And he'd actually said to them, after the semi-final when they beat Tottenham Hotspur, we're going to win, we're going to win. Even if they go 2-0 two, two up, we're going to win. If they go 2-0 up, don't worry, we're still going to win the game. And at half-time, he makes a bit of a tactical switch, uh, moving Cavem uh, to, to Mark Di Stefano at, at half-time. But his main contribution at half-time was this rousing, mm-hmm. legendary team talk, <laughs> which uh, I interviewed two members of this team, Jose Augusto and Antonio Samoes, and they still talk about it. In the most reverential uh, terms, using this biblical language, apparently he goes round every player. He says, "Sit down, sit down, sit down." Pushkas old, Di Stefano old, <laughs> Di Stefano tired, Pushkas tired, Real Madrid dead. You will win. And Jose Augusto says, they, "They felt he felt that like the spirit of God was in his soul." They were. They d- they didn't contemplate. He claims didn't contemplate any other result apart from victory
3: after Gutman's speech. That's incredible, isn't it? And and so it proved to be.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, the, the idea of I, th- I mean I think the idea of Pushkar being tired is borne out in the second half because it's him who's caught in possession I'm only five minutes into the half. He's caught yeah. in possession in the centre circle by um, Angela Martins, uh, who who uh, drives forward and he comes to uh, Mario Colunia who'd been the great star of the side before Eusebio comes along and he ends up playing a slightly deeper role to which he's probably better suited and another brilliant goal. Oh, great to finish. Buy, oh,
3: yeah, it's... Uh, to, 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 to make it 3-3. I mean, I know you've got eight goals to choose from, but there are some real belters in this yeah,
0: game. I, that's probably, I think that's probably the goal of the game. I would
3: it? agree with you. Yeah. I um, with
0: and I guess the the combination of that half-time team talk plus the equaliser so soon yeah. and I guess Pushka's been made to look a bit old and slow. Mm-hmm. It's sort of everything sort of is wrapped up together uh, 64 minutes in Eusebio this surge down the right and again I think you see how tired Real Madrid are at this mm. point they're patching the the, the, um, the left half it's a really tired tackle a really lazy
3: tackle you didn't need VAR brings Eusebio, Eusebio that one. down
0: <laughs> a pretty blatant penalty which of course Eusebio scores Yeah. and then five minutes after that you have this great surge from, from Benfica uh, they win a free kick Eusebio takes it low Goes under Erika Sayan and it's 5-3 and the game is done and mm-hmm. Benfica have retained their the European Cup.
3: Yeah, pitch invasions
1: and all that that kind of stuff. And you had the great symbolic uh, exchange between young and old, a replacement, if you like, at the yeah. end of the game when Eusebio changes shirts with yeah. uh, Di Stefano, the mm. great young player replacing the great old player. Gutmann lifted
3: up above, lifted by his players, escorted off the pitch. And and back-to-back European Cups for Benfica. they never won a European Trophy or a European Cup before that and have not won a European Cup or European Trophy since, of course. Well, before we go into that, I was, yeah, yeah. Uh, just to give <laughs> my book a little bit more of a plug, <laughs> uh,
0: it's worth pointing out the Barcelona team they'd beaten in the final the previous year. In, in
3: 61.
0: Year, yeah, in 61, who who had themselves beaten Real Madrid, had three expat Hungarians. So they had uh, Kubala, they uh, yep. had and they had Coxish. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Real Madrid side, you have got push cast, but also the teams been put together by a guy called Emil Erstreicher who has he'd, he, he was a sporting director. He would left three months early to go to Torino, a decision he always regretted. But Erstreicher himself had, I mean, he'd escaped a labor camp in Ukraine. I have to say the evidence is is patchy, but it, it appears he had. And then on New Year's Day 1945, he'd been hiding out in the synagogue, well, the synagogue in, in Budapest. If you, if you go there now, he'd been hiding out there and had been raided by 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 the fascists. And he, you know, he jumped out through a window and run down the street to get away. Is the story that's told in, I have in to his say. underpants? In his underpants. Mm. I couldn't corroborate that, but that—that that is certainly the story that's told. So that influence of those Hungarian, that Hungarian generation we were talking about, is very, very strong here. But anyway, Benfica—they set up to dominate Europe for the rest of time. Yeah. Until.
3: Yeah. Well, of course, just before. <laughs> so, so he thinks to himself, right? Well, you owe me three hundred thousand whatever it was, and goes to uh, the, the, the chairman or the owner of the club and is and is denied this money. That's right. He he wanted more money. He'd yeah. been asking for more money for several weeks. He'd already
1: told the European media that he was going to leave, but obviously if they'd have offered him what he wanted mm-hmm. he probably would have stayed It's such a successful. I mean Gutman
0: offering to you know, threaten to leave was a pretty constant
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So if they'd have offered even as a player more. he was always threatening <laughs> to leave. I mean if you if you go back to him him in Austria at Hakoach he was always mouthing off to Hungarian press of, <laughs> oh, they don't listen to me anymore, they've changed the style of play. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he, he, him threatening to leave was not unusual.
1: Yeah. However, that's right. So he he he, uh, he had this offer in his back pocket from Penarol, who were the world club champions. In Uruguay. From, from Uruguay. Uh, so he decided to leave. And then, if you look up Goodman on the uh, internet, uh, certainly, uh, until my book came out, I think, definitely, the the most... Uh, common thing you read about him was this curse uh, that he, in 1962, was alleged to have said to the board when they wouldn't give him any more money. He says, OK, you won't give me any money, more money. I'm leaving. But not only am I leaving, but you, Benfica, will not win another European trophy for 100 years. <laughs> and since that time, they've been in eight finals, European finals, and have lost every single one. <laughs> but just to qualify that I, I researched this and researched this and Benfica Research Department helped me with it and they couldn't find any evidence oh, yeah. uh, that he actually said that. The nearest he came was in 1966 when he said, nobody will take away from me the two European titles that I helped to win and nobody else has won and never will win.
3: That's the closest oh, he came okay. to that. So, what you,
0: But what, it's, it's still, I mean, while while the origin myth is is pretty murky, this is believed to the extent that in 1990, <laughs> when Benfica gets to the uh, European Cup final play uh, Milan in, in in Vienna, Eusebio goes and prays at Gutman's grave yeah. to
3: ask sort of forgiveness. Please let us win this one. Well, I was going to say. So now that seems quite a futile thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, he, he prayed. He, he
1: knelt down before 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 Gutman's grave. He, he begged, but. Goodman wouldn't listen. Yeah, clearly. Uh, I, 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 and Milan, <laughs> Milan won 1-0. It has become a psychological issue for Benfica and, and for, for the club. Yeah, uh, They've lost a couple of penalty shootouts. Well, I they lost to Chelsea in um,
0: 2013, the Europa League final. I mean, they battered Chelsea and then yeah. Ivanovich just got ahead of him a corner
1: late on. Should have won so, that game. And, yeah. and Seville beat them on the penalties. And yeah. PSV Eindhoven, I think, in 88, was it, European Cup final? So. Yeah. Uh, so this curse has generated I mean it, again there's so much mythology about Gutman I mean that statement you made before mm. that Gutman again is so well known for the third year is fatal yeah. well he might have said that early on in his career he wouldn't have said that late on in career because he, he only did one third season mm. and he won the European Cup so the third season was not fatal for Bella Gutman sure fatal Absolutely. for Benfica as it turned out <laughs> <laughs> <In the end.
3: laughs> um, David it's been an absolute pleasure Talking to you about this. Um, Yeah. Great to focus on on Bella Goodman. So, I mean, a life less ordinary, of course. But, um, a, f- a phenomenal uh, influence on, on football and uh, and all the rest of it and far more beyond that. Um, but yes, uh, thank you, uh, David. An absolute pleasure, Jonathan. A pleasure as always. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with The Blizzard. Of course, if you want to hear more stories like that, go to theblizzard.co.uk. And do not forget that uh, Football Ramble Daily, we're here Monday to Saturday, so subscribe to make sure you never miss a show. We'll see you next week.